The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and are not meant to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, Multi-Omics. Part three of our series. How far are we going with this? I don't know how many spots are on that wheel. 37. <laughs> that makes no sense. Yeah. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. We're raining it in. <laughs> Rain it like an umbrella? Do we need an umbrella? Is it R-E-I-N? Is there G in it? Hello. Hi, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How goes it today? It's going great. Welcome to the lab report, sir. Enough of that. This is a podcast brought to you by Genova Diagnostics, where we talk about functional medicine, specialty lab testing, and integrative therapeutics. That's right. And if you Not like, that other stuff. No. If you'd like to learn more about those things... Like how you, we're doing? You can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Spotify. Just hit the subscribe button and rate and review and leave some feedback. Yeah. Leave some feedback mm-hmm. and subscribe. Do those things. That's going to be helpful. What if they have questions? How can they get us? Well, they should email those questions to podcast at gdx.net. That's the, uh, that's the bucket. That's great. Where I, emails land. I love that. Well, what are we talking about today, Dr. Chapman? Good question. I thought, you know, we should talk about multiomics again. Yeah, like part three of our series, the multiomics series. Yeah, I don't know how long the series is going to go, but we should keep going because I'm having a good time. I hope everyone else is having a good time with it. Well, I'm having fun. It's a pretty big wheel and we got a lot of snips to talk about. You mean so, the prize wheel? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So let's just um, let's just go ahead and spit it and see what we're going to talk about today. Sounds good. Hmm. Hmm. And uh-huh. CYP1B1. Wow. A lot of letters and numbers in there. That's right. Let's first start with, what does that even mean? CYP1B1. What are we? What is that enzyme? Well, it's one of the cytochrome P450 enzymes, that big super family of enzymes. That super family. Are usually we associate with the liver and detoxification. So cytochrome P450 enzymes, right? Mm-hmm. Big group of them. There's 1B1, 1A1, 3A4, right. blah, blah, blah. Lots of them. Bunch of them. And for the most part, they do phase one detoxification. So Patty, you want to remind the peoples what phase <laughs> one detoxification is about? Certainly. So if you have a toxin or something that's fat soluble or hormone and needs to be detoxified, it goes through two different phases of detoxification. And the first phase is where it becomes hydroxylated, right? And it turns into an activated intermediate, which sometimes can be be even more dangerous than the initial toxin or hormone, right? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to have a bunch of these activated intermediates running rampant in the system. Uh, that's why phase two becomes increasingly important. That's right. And phase two is w- involving adding a molecule to that to make it water-soluble so that it can be easily excreted, and that can be done many different ways. Yeah, you want to conjugate the activated intermediate to uh, reduce its reactivity. Mm-hmm. Just threw in a bunch of fancy words did. there. How'd you like that? <laughs> I loved it. So some of the things that you can add would be like a methyl group. Which methylation. would be methylation. You can add a glucuronide molecule. Glucuronidation. Uh, you can add an acetyl group. Acetylation. 
Sulfation. Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways you can undergo phase two. But what we're talking about today is one of the enzymes in phase one. Right. CYP1B1. And like all of the cytochrome P450 enzymes, there's different substrates that are used uh, that are metabolized through this pathway, right? Mm -hmm. So depending on whether it's a drug or an environmental chemical, something endogenous, a hormone, they're going to choose different pathways for detoxification, or at least the body's going to choose for them different pathways of detoxification based on their structure. And so there's very specific compounds that will be detoxified through the 1B1 cytochrome P450 as compared to the others, like the 1A1 or the 3A4. Mm -hmm. And so that's helpful to know because if you're taking a drug, you're taking a medication that might impact cytochrome P450 enzymes, you want to know what are the things that are detoxified by that enzyme. And specifically, what are the things that are detoxified through CYP1B1 that we are really interested in? Yeah, we think about the parent estrogens, right? And so when estrogens are trying to be detoxified to be excreted, one of the pathways a parent estrogen can take is down this CYP1B1 pathway, mm-hmm. which is a pretty risky pathway, right? Mm, because, risky. Yeah, because we think about, okay, if you have problems with your detoxification of hormones, it can really speak to some hormonally mediated cancer risks. So you don't want to have issues around <laughs> hormone detoxification. Right. Speci- I mean, we think about estrogen, just to call mm-hmm. it out, right? We think right. about estrogen detoxification mostly. Um And why is it that you're talking about risk associated with CYP1B1? Like, what's the connection there? Yeah, so a parent estrogen takes this 1B1 pathway to make something called 4-hydroxyestrogen, or estradiol estrone, Mm -hmm. um, which in and of itself... Again, it's it's an active intermediate, remember, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And if it's not then made water soluble in phase two in and of itself can infer some risk because it can then turn into something we call three, four quinones. Yeah. And three, four quinones are DNA addicts Mm -hmm. and they have been associated with increased hormone mediated cancer risk. So you don't want to have a buildup of these DNA addicts, right? Mm -hmm. Um, well, let's take a step back a second and just talk about estrogen detoxification as a whole because we're thinking about a metabolomics approach mm-hmm. to CYP1B1 and estrogen detoxification. So let's put CYP1B1 as an enzyme in in its context with the whole of estrogen detoxification and metabolism. Okay, so... A parent estrogen can take three different pathways in phase one. Kind of think of them as like highways. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And I've heard it described in IFM as, you know, there are three different pathways and they often call them the good, the bad, and the ugly. Mm -hmm. Right? So one pathway is the least risk inducing, the other's kind of in the middle. And 1B1 is actually the pathway they would take to make the ugly active intermediate. Right. And that's the 4-hydroxy compound that is the end result of this 1B1 pathway. Um, So just to kind of recap that a little bit and put some more spin on it, if you're talking about estrogen detoxification, it can go down these three pathways that Patty mentioned, the good, the bad, and the ugly. If estradiol goes down the good pathway, what we 
what we consider the good pathway, that's CYP1A1. And that produces 2-hydroxyestradiol. Um, if it goes down the bad pathway, what we call the bad pathway, that's CYP3A4. And that produces... 16-alpha-hydroxy. Right. Right. And then the ugly pathway is the CYP1B1 pathway that Patty just mentioned. And that produces the 4-hydroxyestradiol. And so... It's really about which of these activated intermediates are being produced because some of them are more reactive than others. The 4-hydroxy is the most reactive. The 16-alpha has some risk associations, and the 2-hydroxy still needs to go through phase 2 detoxification, but that way, that pathway, we assume, is having the least risk associated with it. Correct. So that brings us to the whole concept of what if, Michael there is a genetic variant in how CYP1B1 is made. And if you just kind of reflect back on our SNPology episode where we actually talked about what is a SNP, a single nucleotide polymorphism, we talked about how the blueprint is faulty or changed a variant and might predispose you to make an enzyme that's acting differently than it should. Right. So what if there is a SNP in 1B1? So SNPs in 1B1, this is where it gets a little interesting because not all SNPs are the same. Some mm-hmm. SNPs result in an enzyme that works faster, and that's what we call upregulation of the enzyme. Some SNPs result in what's called downregulation, or meaning the enzyme works slower. Um, and some good examples of downregulation would be MTHFR SNPs, COMT SNPs that we already discussed in the previous multiomic series. Mm-hmm. This is different with CYP1B1. When there's a SNP in CYP1B1, it results in an enzyme that works faster. It's an upregulation SNP. So you're already taking the ugly pathway. Yes. And now there's a SNP that's making even more and making it faster. Right. So you see why that might be a problem. Yeah, absolutely. You just increase the speed limit, essentially. Of, <laughs> right, going down of, that highway. Exactly. Right. And what it ends up doing is producing more of the 4-hydroxyestrogens. Mm-hmm. And like we talked about, the 4-hydroxyestrogens are very reactive. They can turn into these 3 4 quinones, which are DNA addicts, if they don't go through phase two detoxification. So if you have a buildup of 4-hydroxyestrogens, then that makes phase two detoxification even more important. Right. Which phase two, remember, is methylation, sulfation, acetylation, conjugation with glucuronide molecules. I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can do that to make things water-soluble for excretion. We're talking about that, that middle step, that first active intermediate. Right. And as it relates to 4-hydroxyestrogens, mm-hmm. um, which is, again, the end product of the CYP1B1 pathway, the ugly pathway, mm-hmm. those need to go through phase 2 detoxification, and the specific enzyme that does that is COMT, hmm. right? So now you can see that not only is this one genetic SNP informative, the CYP1B1 SNP, but also knowing what somebody's COMT SNPs might Mm. be can also help determine how well they're going to be detoxifying estrogen. Wait, so did you just layer a multiomic onto another multiomic? Yeah. Is that a (laughs) multi-multiomic? I I think multi is all-encompassing, so we're still in the realm of multiomics. That's fair. That's fair. Okay, so if we're layering on the biomarkers and we're trying to figure out if someone's genetic predisposition is actually expressed. Mm -hmm. And I say to you, Michael, okay, 
Cytochrome P450, CYP1B1, there's a genetic variant. What markers are you looking at to see if there might be a problem with that enzyme? Well, I'm going to be looking at parent estrogens first mm-hmm. and foremost because that's going to tell me how much substrate there is. Okay. I'm going to be so I would look at E1, E2, E3 just as a general I, I think that's going to be helpful in any sort of estrogen metabolism assessment. Okay. Um then looking at the end product of this pathway which is the four hydroxy estrogens. Right. Um so that's going to tell you the precursor. It's going to tell you how well the predisposition for that enzyme works. Mm -hmm. And then it's going to tell you how much of the end product is being produced. Because even though somebody might have a genetic predisposition for this enzyme to work faster, that doesn't necessarily mean that it is working faster. Right. And the only way you're going to know that is by looking at how much of the end stream product is being produced. And that's going to be what you're really interested in in any way. Um, I don't think under any circumstance should you be concerned, overly concerned, if somebody just has a predisposition in the CYP1B1. That's going to tell you good information. Mm-hmm. And it's going to tell you a little bit about somebody's risk for producing more for hydroxyestrogens. But you also want to measure four hydroxyestrogens. Right. And the other thing you might want to measure is the methylated product, the four methoxy. Yes. Because that would say, okay, even if you have that SNP in 1B1, you're methylating like a champ. Right. And so you're clearing that risk. And that's also important information to note. Right. And related to that, you might also want to look at the COMT <clears throat> genetic information because that's going to tell you about predispositions right. for methylation. So right. um, you can start to see where all these things work together. And you could even look at something like a methylation panel if somebody's not methylating well. But you could look at that and determine maybe are there other genetic Im- polymorphisms? Mm-hmm. Are there other uh, disturbances in the methylation pathway that's making somebody's phase two detoxification not work appropriately. Right. Okay. So we talked about how a parent estrogen can take three different paths, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah. Today we're specifically talking about the CYP1B1, which sends you down the ugly pathway. Right. We talked about how a genetic variant or a SNP in that enzyme makes it work faster. Yeah. And then we talked about how, you know, it's really only half of the story because the phase two is important as well. What if I asked you, in the realm of talking about hormonally mediated cancers, mm-hmm. what what other profiles does Genova have that you might want to look at? Well, I, when we're looking at these estrogen metabolites, you're going to look at a urine assessment. That's going to be where you're looking for estrogen metabolites. And so you can get a lot of those estrogen metabolites on a profile called the complete hormones. Mm -hmm. And on that, you're looking at parent estrogen, E1, E2, E3. You're looking at 4-hydroxyestradiol, 4-hydroxyesterone. And you're also looking at the good and the bad pathways as well. And I think a really cool thing that's done on that profile is you're comparing how much of the parent estrogens are going down which pathway, the good, the bad, or the ugly. So you can get a little bit of an assessment of, oh, well, most of your detoxification is going down the good pathway, or most of your detoxification is going down the bad pathway. I think that's critical information and really helps in this metabolomic, multiomic assessment. Um, 
the nice thing about it too is you can do add-on markers for these genetic SNFs, including what Ooh. we're talking about today, CYP1B1 and COMT. Those right. are both available as an add-on. So you can get a full multiomic approach to estrogen metabolism by doing the complete hormones. And you also talked about the methylation panel, which can also give you a feel for how well the entire methylation cycle is working, Yes, which is another place to look. Well, in the same realm, what if you're looking to see someone's hormonally mediated cancer risk? Is there anything on the stool test that might clue you in as to whether or not you might be concerned? Um, sure. You can look at beta-glucuronidase. Okay. And beta-glucuronidase is an enzyme. We've talked about this before. Mm-hmm. It's an enzyme that is involved in recirculation of fat-soluble hormones. Um, and elevations in beta-glucuronidase make it more likely that somebody is going to be deconjugating the detoxification activity of the liver on estrogen. And what that means is it allows for more recirculation. You're sort of undoing the liver's work of detoxification. Um, And that can be problematic, and that's why high levels of beta-glucuronidase have been associated with increased hormone-mediated cancer risk. Wow. This is a lot of great information. So another metabolite, another multi-omic, metabolomic analytes that you can use to get a well-rounded view of estrogen detoxification. Right. Well, here's one last question. Is it the question of the day? No. No. What what might someone do that has a SNP in CYP1B1 and they've done the complete hormones test and there's elevations of 4-hydroxy. Oh, no. Yeah, what are some strategies? The old what do you do question. Or even, let me back that up even further. What if they just have this SNP and they just want to optimize before something really does manifest? Well, I mean, this is a matter of clinical opinion, so this is where uh, Uh our (laughs) disclaimer comes into play. (laughs) But, you know... If you're just looking at the genetic information, I'm always going to be recommending that you go and you look at the actual metabolites to determine whether somebody has an increase in 4-hydroxyestrogen or whether there is some sluggishness from estrogen detoxification standpoint. Okay. Um, All that being said, if you are thinking about trying to optimize and maybe somebody is showing higher production of 4-hydroxyestrogen, then you can try to support estrogen detoxification by manipulating the enzymes in the pathway, the good, the bad, and the ugly enzymes. Like try to make some type of intervention that would encourage estrogen to take the the first pathway, the good pathway. Yeah, so the good pathway is the 1A1 pathway, and I tend to think of that as like the cold water pathway, and then the 1B1 (laughs) pathway is the hot water pathway. Metaphor, another metaphor. So what you want to try to do is turn up the cold and turn down the hot. Okay. Okay, and so but to turn up the cold, to increase the rate at which estrogen's going down the 1A1 pathway, the good pathway. You want to think about things like cruciferous vegetables, uh, dark red purple berries, uh, soy isoflavones, Mm -hmm. DIM, I3C. Those are some things that will increase the enzyme 1A1, turn up the cold water. Hmm. Then you want to turn down the hot water. You want to turn down the 1B1 pathway. And you can do that with things like grapefruit, Mm -hmm. um, hops, and bioflavonoids. So Hmm. those are some things. You could also try to avoid the objects, the the things that will actually 
increase the hot water, which would be like PCBs and other petrochemicals, things like that. Yeah, we always think about other epigenetic lifestyle changes, like alcohol, avoiding alcohol and excess sugar and like um, like yes. you just said, PCBs and various toxins. And so you're trying to optimize these pathways and manipulate them Yes, using things like DIM and endocarbinol, things to help take the easier, the good pathway to prevent the buildup of 4-hydroxy. Yeah, because you want to turn down the hot water. <laughs> you want to turn down the heat. Turn down the activated intermediates that are going to cause problems and turn cool it down. The other thing you could do is also just support phase two, right? You could Where do that everything's as well. being made water soluble in phase two detox. Right, and that's done through methylation. So you would mm-hmm. think about things that are going to support methylation, whether that's adequate B vitamins, uh, maybe trimethylglycine, things that that will support the methylation cycle. And optimizing the GI tract and the microbiome as well to kind of help things be excreted well. So you're not doing all that detoxification work only to be undone right. in the gut and recirculated. Well, there is a lot you can do for this one. There is a lot you can do. Yeah. And we see this work all the time. It's really great it from is. a clinical perspective, it getting really to he- see test and retest. You see these things change in response to intervention. It's really great. I love it. But unfortunately, do you know what time it is? I, why do you say unfortunately? I <laughs> just because I think of the jingles, you know is. the jingles. You know how I feel about these things. I do. Pick a number between one and four. Three. This is the third one. This is the third one. It's the shortest one. Mm. You say that all the time. It's the question of the day. Oh, is that what that means? Yeah. Wow. I, have a, I have a question for There's you. A lot of reverb there. This is uh, this is coming in through our our inbox. Oh gosh. A little question here. Go Let ahead. Un- unwrap it. Oh my goodness. This okay. looks official. Yes. Uh, when you're running a urine hormone test, like the complete hormones, mm-hmm. you have an FMV and a 24-hour collection. Ooh. What's the difference? Why would you pick one versus the other? This is a great question. Thank you to whoever emailed that at podcast at gdx.net. No names. But FMV stands for first morning void. So you can just submit a first morning void urine for the complete hormones. But there's the other option of doing a 24-hour collection of urine. Now, the difference between the two is that for most cases, a first morning void is fine, should be fine. However, some patients take things like bioidentical hormone replacement therapy. Yeah. And there can be significant fluctuations through the course of the day of parent hormones based on that that are excreted. Simply put, after you take it goes the high hormone, <laughs> you're going to have higher levels show up. <laughs> right. And then you'll have a trough That's after right. that. Yeah. So doing a 24-hour collection kind of helps to mitigate the swings high and low yeah. and kind of averages them out. So right. there's been some really good correlation between the first morning void and the 24-hour, but in general, most people, first morning void should be fine, but if you're on bioidentical hormones, you might want to do the 24-hour collection. Yeah, I think you run into a lot of problems if somebody's taking progesterone in the evening, Mm -hmm. and then they're doing a first morning void collection, because you're going to have all of that progesterone showing up in the urine of the FMV, and it's going to look really strange. That's right. The other thing to note, if you look at almost all of the literature around evaluation in the urine for hormones, Mm -hmm. it is based on a 24-hour assessment. Ooh, that's great to know. Um, like, so it's good to know that it does correlate to an FFV. FMV does correlate to a 24 hour, mm-hmm. but the gold standard is 24 hour because you can't always predict 
how somebody's going to detoxify over the course of a smaller window of time. Some people, everyone's different, right? Right. And the rate at which you detoxify overnight as compared to throughout the day is going to be different. It's going to depend on a lot of different factors. And so um, whether you're doing like a spot check, um, a larger window of time for mm-hmm. collection is always better. That's right. No matter what, no matter whether we're talking about urine or even other matrices, a longer, it's like uh, longitudinal studies and research. That's right. Like when you do longitudinal studies, you're getting more better data because you're smoothing out the edges. And if you go to PubMed, most of it is in 24-hour urine collection. Yeah. So that about wraps it up for another multi-omic wow. episode. Part three of the multi-omic series in the books. This is good. We're getting some some headway on we're gonna this. Have to, we're going to have to switch out that wheel, though. Put some new snips on the wheel. What if it would have landed on MTHFR again? We'd have to redo the episode. That would have been catastrophic. Listen, you got to go with it. All right, enough. I got to go. I'm late for my badminton league. Wow. Next time on The Lab Report, we have on Dr. Datis Karazian. Author, teacher, just a brilliant guy. He's a smarty pants. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. Really? Badminton, Michael? Yeah. Like shuttlecock, rackets, the whole bit. Yeah, our team's the birdie bashers.